There are a couple of things just uh, in terms of walking through this. I think of one, two, three. One basic framework, overarching framework that I think is really important for us to grasp if we're going to understand kind of what's going on with Moses and the people here. Then there's two temptations that are uh, at the doorstep of everyone who would be a servant of God. And then Moses actually gives us three prayers uh, which lead us in a good direction. So if you're a note taker, there you go. One, two, three. Uh, The basic framework is this. Um, God is in a covenant relationship with his people. And Moses is the covenant mediator. I think many of you know that. Probably don't have to spend as much time here this morning as I did with my congregation, just kind of working through some of the basics of uh, the covenant and the relationship and and how Moses uh, stood as a mediator in that particular relationship. in that particular setting. But Moses is called upon to sort of in a liminal state stand between God and his people to represent the people to God, to represent God to the people. There's a certain sense in which we could say that Moses, like Christ, uh, fulfilled all of the offices. You know, he was a priest. He, he interceded on behalf of the people. Didn't necessarily bring the offerings, but we could see Moses Uh, fulfilling some priestly duties on behalf of the people. Uh, He certainly uh, operated as a prophet. Uh, Moses was cited and known as a prophet. He was the one that was declaring God's word to the people. But there was a kingly aspect to Moses as well. He he, he fought with the people, fought for the people, defending them against their enemies. He administrated and was called to make judgments, dispense mercy, all of those different things. There's a very real sense in which God's people share those same offices, not to the degree that Christ does. Uh, Christ fulfills them perfectly, but can recognize in the lives of believers, uh, both uh, those who are in our families, those who are in our church, those who are in our neighborhoods, uh, we intercede for them. We fight for justice for them. We declare God's word to them. When we step into ministry, I think there's a sense in which we do that in an even heightened way. Uh, we are, are called to, to, to hold that place on behalf of our congregations, the people that God has given to us, in order that we might uh, please for them and with them, that we would proclaim the word to them, that we would administer justice and mercy and uh, uh, good plans within their midst that a king might do. Of course, we don't do it to the degree that Christ does, and we only do it to the extent that we are in union with him. Any ministry that we have is simply the ministry of Christ to us uh, as we play that out. Moses here uh, is the one who's in focus, and he is the mediator of the covenant. Secondly, uh, notice that, that there are always dangers 
for covenant mediators. There are always dangers for those who are called to stand and to be in that liminal place. And there's two of them in particular that I want to highlight for you. The first one you saw in verses 9 and 10 of chapter 32. The Lord said to Moses, I've seen this people. Behold, it's a stiff-necked people. Now therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, that I may consume them, in order that I might make a great nation of you. Can you imagine being Moses? You know, what, what, what would you be thinking? What would you be uh, imagining? What would you be feeling if God said that to you? Like, on the one hand, you know, this is, this is God coming to you and saying, this is my intention, this is my plan, this is something that, that I have discerned in, in my countenance, in my being that I want to do. And so the tendency would be to say, well, God, if that's what you think, go ahead. You know, that, I, here I am, take me, maybe in the way that... Uh, Isaiah said it, or, or Mary, when she was told she was going to bear the son, I am your servant. But there is a certain amount of, of pride that could creep in to that particular moment. And I think this is the danger that God's people face, is that we can easily think that the problem is out there. The problem is with those people. The problem is with their disobedience. But I, I don't struggle with that so much. I uh, am ahead of the curve. I am in a place of prominence, a place that, God, if you did start over, maybe this wouldn't be such a bad place to start. You know, Moses falls prey to this later on. Moses resists this temptation here in the moment. But you remember in Numbers 20, the reason why Moses is prevented from going into the promised land is that he, he, he turns against the people. He calls them these rebels, these people that you have given to me, he says to the Lord. And in an act of hubris, he, he strikes the rock rather than speaking to it. You see that the temptation that Moses does stand against here in Exodus 32 is something that was very much wrought up with his heart only to show itself a little bit later. But this is something that we always face as God's people. The temptation to blame the people rather than to see it in our own selves. The temptation to say, if only they would follow my way, or if only they would think my thoughts, then we would be in a good situation. I certainly have had that over the years. I remember a number of years ago, it was probably over a decade ago now, um, I, three couples who were, I was very close to, church that I had planted in St. Louis, and um, helped them significantly. We, our lives were together. We lived in, in, in uh, very close proximity. But they turned, and they uh, became 
these enemies, for lack of a better term, within the church. And uh, it was a very low point in my own ministry. And I have to confess, uh, my thought was not so much about my own shortcomings and uh, failures in that particular moment, but it was, how could these people do this? You know, how could these people who I had invested in to such a great degree, who owe so much to, you know, my ministry in their life, it, it's, a, it's a slippery thing uh, how quickly we can find ourselves going in that direction. There's another temptation here. I want you to see it. It's in Exodus chapter 33. If you look at the first three verses in particular, you get a real sense of this temptation. The Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people who you've brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you, I will drive out before you uh, the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. It's really interesting to stop and just pause with these three verses for a minute because, and, and realize what God is saying to Moses. You know, God is saying to Moses, I am going to give you incredible blessing. I am going to give you uh, all of the political freedom that you need. Uh, you're, you're not going to have any trouble with politics. You can set up the theocracy. I'm going to give you access religiously through Moses as the mediator. Later on in chapter 3, we see the tent of meeting. We see Moses meeting with God, talking to him face to face as a man would speak with his friend. I'm going to even send an angel into your midst. So you're going to have the symbol. You're going to have everything that you need religiously. I'm going to give you prosperity. You're going into a land flowing with milk and honey. When you just stop and think about that, I, I have to confess, when I first was wrestling through this, I thought, you know, that's an awful lot like a lot of my prayers. <laughs> you know, Lord, if you could just deliver us from this political morass that we seem to be in and that we've been in for a number of years, if you could take away my suffering, if I could have the ability to practice my religion in the way that I think, like that's the extent of my prayers. And oftentimes, you know, I wonder, do we even make it beyond that? But what God says to Moses, and to the Israelites' great credit in verse 4, uh, it seems a disastrous word to them uh, that causes them to mourn, is God said, you can have all this stuff, but I am not going to be in your midst. I will not go up among you. And I think sometimes in ministry, we can be very tempted by having a church that runs well, uh, by, by seeing the fruits of our labors in the pews on Sunday mornings, uh, Sunday evenings, uh, by, you know, an absence of conflict, by uh, security and stability in our families and all of that. 
And we forget that those things without God in the center of them are absolutely meaningless. And we forget that sometimes when God goes up into the middle of us, we, we, we don't enjoy those things. You know, we are participators in suffering and there is uh, a hard road to tow as we go forward in living with the Lord. It's interesting that Moses faces these two temptations. Uh, God has given him a very prominent place and a big responsibility. Um, But he is testing him. You know, God, in various places throughout the scriptures, he, he seems to look for, you know, Ezekiel... 29, 22, 29, sorry, I got the note here. Ezekiel 22, verse 30, Isaiah 59, 16. I sought for a man, God says. I sought for a man whose heart is in the right place. I sought for somebody who would stand in the midst of wickedness, who would stand and proclaim for me. And that's indeed what Moses does. Three prayers. Uh, three prayers that Moses prays in, in response to the events that are going down. We read the first one a little bit earlier, beginning in verse 11, uh, going through verse 13. If I were to sum up this prayer, uh, Moses places himself in the story. He doesn't stand outside of the story of redemption, but he places himself in the story. Uh, why, are you, why does your wrath burn hot against the people who you've brought out of Egypt with great power? Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent you did this? Turn from this burning anger. Relent from this disaster. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply multiply your offspring as stars of the heaven. Moses, in seeking to minister to the people, uh, prays and, and, as it were, reminds God of, of his promises. And he says, no, this is your story. It's not my story. It's not even our story separate from your story. We're, we're part of this story which you are doing, which you have affected. Uh, and and he, he turns and he implores God. Remember your promises. Remember the story that you are working out. Remember your glory that you are calling forth throughout the ages uh, as it gets played out. Remembering our story is something really important. Uh, Alistair McIntyre, some of you may be familiar with his book, After Virtue. He says, "I, I can't answer the question of what I am to do until I have answered the prior question of which story I am in. And for the minister, this is so, so important. If we do not know which story we are in, we are going to go in all sorts of different directions that will eventually lead us away from uh, the place where God wants us to be. If we think this is our story, that this is about us, if we think this is a story of success and prosperity, if we think anything other than the story that God has given us, 
we're going to find, you know, slowly just how one degree difference uh, seems small when it starts, but it ends up far away from where uh, God led us. Some of you, I'm sure, have listened to the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill prod- podcast uh, and just sort of the story of Mars Hill in Seattle and, and Mark Driscoll. Um, you know, at the very beginning, they, they talk about, like, there were good, good seeds at the beginning. There, there was good work happening. Uh, there, the gospel was being proclaimed. But as the story turned... And it became more about ministry and brand and platform and media. Uh, there was just a wide divergence. We, we have to remember the story that we are in. Secondly, Moses' second prayer, which we see in Exodus 32, uh, particularly in verses 31 and 32, uh, Moses' second prayer shows us the secret, uh, the secret of selflessness. You know, Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, I've, I've learned the secret of contentment. Uh, I, I think as ministers, one of the things that we need to learn is the secret of selflessness. See how Moses plays it out. Moses returned to the Lord and he said, Alas, the people have sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold, but now... If you will forgive their sin, but if not, please plot, blot me out of the book that you have written. Moses, like Paul later in Romans chapter 9, verse 3, uh, loves his people to such a degree. He knows the story that is being written, that he is willing to at least have his own life blotted out of the book. Some people think that maybe Paul was even willing to have his own soul uh, blotted out of the book and, and be put in jeopardy. Paul says that I might be accursed and cut off from Christ if my people, the Jews, would be brought in. How is it that that a, a man, a, a woman, somebody of flesh and blood uh, can get to this point where they would love another person so much that they could pray this prayer. What is the secret of selflessness? You know, when I reflect on Moses and reflect on Paul, there's something that they have in common. They are leaders that are very aware of their own failures and shortcomings. We think about that, of course, with Paul. You know, Paul says, you know, I am the chief of sinners. Uh, he knows, you know, his zeal for persecuting the church. He, he knows the, the fact that, you know, he had to be arrested on that road to Damascus and his heart grabbed a hold of and changed. He always lived in front of it. We forget this sometimes with Moses, though, don't we? You know, back in chapter 3 and chapter 4 of Exodus, 
chapter 3, Moses was not very eager for the call that God gave him. You know, I'm a stammerer. Can you send somebody else? Uh, he, you know, I have no power. I'm weak. You know, and God says, I'll give you Aaron to go with you. I'll give you this rod. You know, I'll show you my power. A- and Moses is still reluctant. Moses is reluctant in chapter four to follow through with uh, circumcising his son. And we have this very fraught moment where Moses uh, is met by God on the road and it appears that God is going to put Moses to death until his wife Zipporah circumcises their son and touches the feet of Moses uh, atoning for him in a very real way. Moses knew what it was like to be redeemed and atoned for. Paul knew what it was like. And I think this is something that's so important for us in ministry. If we do not know the depth to which we have been atoned, if we do not, if we are not aware of the dangerous place where we would be without the atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ, we will never, we will never be able to lead a people We'll never be able to serve them. We'll never be able to point them to the one who can propitiate their needs at the greatest level. Practically, um, repentance is one of the best gifts that we have. And making much of our repentance, not that we grovel like worms in the dust. Uh, my pastor, former pastor here in Grand Rapids, Charles Cray, used to say, you know, we don't need a vermicular theology, uh, a theology of, of wormhood. Uh, but there's just an honest approbation when we really deal with our sins, uh, as the Puritans talked about, you know, maximizing our sin, that is what leads us to understand the greatness of grace. It is only when we see the blackness of our sin that we can really understand the pure grace that God has given to us. And so, you know, the encouragement here is learn that secret of selflessness. It is one of the, uh, one of the only ways that we can really lead God's people safely. Lastly, uh, we, we see Paul, or we see Paul, we see Moses uh, with this great prayer of chapter 33. If you look at verse 12, Moses says to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. He's basically going back and saying, we, we need you to go. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I've found favor in your sight, please show me your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, this nation is your people. And the Lord said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. 
Uh, and Moses said to the Lord, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. And Moses said, Please, Show me your glory. This is the prayer for God's people. This is the prayer for God's leaders. That God's glory would be made manifest in our ministry. You know, Moses here does what all of us need to do. He's, he's stepped back. He has uh, placed himself within the story. He's uh, exercised a degree of godly selflessness. And his sole occupation now is for the glory of God. Please, show me your glory. You know, as I work out this ministry, whether it is in a big steeple church in a stable part of town, whether it's in an inner city hovel, whether it's around the world with the people that speak English or speak Chinese or whatever it might be, whether it's a house church, whether, uh, you know, whether there's anybody who ever seems to respond to my ministry like Jeremiah experienced, please, Lord, may your glory be the thing that is manifested. May your glory shine forth. May the people of the earth know that I am only here, that I only exist because of your glory. And what I, what I love about this prayer, um, and you've seen the shadows of this all the way through as we've been talking. What I love about this prayer of Moses's here is that it comes to its fruition in the person of Jesus Christ. When, when we come to the book of John, we see the Lord Jesus praying in John chapter 17, not show me your glory, but Father, share my glory, the glory that we have together. This is why I am going to the cross. This is why I am laying down my life so that my glory, our glory can be revealed and this people can share in the glory that we have. In John chapter one, you know, we have seen his glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. As we stand in our own particular place and we think about ministry and we think about, you know, how are we going to survive the difficulties of ministry? How are we going to navigate its loneliness? How are we going to go forward? The answer, as we go back through Moses and then come to the greater Moses is as we rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the glory made manifest. He is the answer to that prayer of Moses's. And as we find ourselves in union with him, in all of our repentance, in all of our praise, in, in, in all of our quiet before him, as we find ourselves in union with Christ, we can say with Paul, it is not I, 
but it's Christ who is powerfully at work within me, through me, to the people that God has given me. May God give you his rich blessing. You pray with me. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for this uh, spotlight on ministry, as it were, that you have given us in the life of Moses. Lord, we pray that we would treasure uh, this experience that, that Moses had. May we learn from it much. May we go back to it. May we see the temptations that were there for Moses. May we see uh, the, the ways in which Moses points us to Christ, the one who ultimately fulfilled the story gave himself, became accursed in order that we might be redeemed and ultimately manifest to us the glory of the Father. Pray for these brothers, sisters. I pray for them as they uh, continue on their studies, as they engage their ministry. Lord, I ask that you would fill them with the promised Holy Spirit, that they would be so aware of that presence, that you haven't left them to themselves, uh, but that you walk with them, strive with them every step of the way. Give you all the praise and all the glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.